Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm really pleased that you decided to join us today for this live online class because today we're going to be doing guided loving kindness meditation. This is really important for your practice on the path to enlightenment. There's only two styles of meditation that you will ever truly need as a foundational practice on this path to enlightenment. While there's many meditations in the world that have been created after Gautama Buddha's death, there's only two primary styles of meditation that he ever taught as a way to progress on this path to enlightenment. His teachings on meditation come to addressing the core problems that are in the mind. There's these three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance or we also call them greed, hatred, and delusion, or I also refer to this last one as unknowing of true reality. Well, this first poison of greed or craving, where the mind has this outward searching, seeking satisfaction, attempting to hold on to things with permanence, we use breathing mindfulness meditation as the antidote to the mind. It's the antidote to this craving, desire attachment this first poison where the mind wants to hold on we use breathing mindfulness meditation as the antidote to that and what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is we're training the mind to focus on the breath to let go that's the reason why when thoughts arise in the mind during breathing mindfulness meditation you cut them off and let them go These are the actual words that the Buddha used when he was talking about breathing mindfulness meditation is he said, cut off the thoughts, right? And this is during the training of meditation because the mind's craving and it wants to hold on to things so tightly and it has trouble letting go. So what you're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is you're training the mind to let go and focus on the breath. And over time, what you're going to notice is that the mind becomes more and more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, this enlightened mental state, because you're training the mind to let go rather than hold on. So when that guy cuts you off in traffic, if you get angry right now, it's because the mind's holding on. It's craving permanence. Whereas if you use breathing mindfulness meditation, you can let go. And you can just be like, all right, you want to go? You go. I'm safe. The car's safe. All right, go ahead. It's yours. Have it. 
But if there's ego there, or there's other aspects of the unenlightened mind that are there, then the mind's going to get enraged, perhaps, or just get frustrated or irritated. And this is that second poison that arises and exists in the mind, which arises this anger, hatred, hostility, and other aspects where the mind wants to push people away, where when the mind doesn't get what it wants, which is the craving, desire, attachment, when the mind doesn't get what it wants, it then experiences these painful feelings, which is like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, and these other aspects of a discontent mind. And this second poison of anger or hatred or ill will can arise in the mind where the unenlightened mind wants to push people out of your life. And what's going on here is the unenlightened mind thinks that if I just push these people out of my life, then I'll create this little bubble that'll be peaceful and my peace will come back to me. But what ends up happening is because you haven't solved the root problem, which is the mind, that somebody else comes into your environment or into your sphere of existence and now when people are around you that you disagree with or that they disagree with you you push them out of your life too and you push these people out and you push these people out and it's like the unenlightened mind is almost neurotic looking around for who do i disagree with or who disagrees with me as soon as i recognize that i'm going to push them out of my life because the mind's trying to create this little bubble that it feels like it can maintain but that bubble isn't permanent because you haven't solved the actual problem, which is the craving, anger, ignorance in the mind or this unknowing of true reality. So while breathing mindfulness meditation addresses this craving, this problem of the mind wanting to hold on, the loving kindness meditation that we're going to do today, this is going to address this aspect of the mind that has this hatred, this anger, this ill will, this interest to push people away and create this wall and this barrier between you and other people. Because while you may think that that's actually kind of working for you, it really doesn't. Because there's certain people in the world that you associate well with and that you enjoy being around and that you can spend time with. But then there's people that you don't really get along with and you have trouble interacting with these people and when you see them coming or you see somebody with certain qualities that you disagree with your mind just kind of oh, I really don't like this I, I don't want to be around this so the mind can't reside permanently peaceful calm serene and content with joy it can only be that way as long as everything around you is agreeable as soon as there's people or situations that are disagreeable to you, the mind becomes discontent. So while the primary problem in the unenlightened mind is this craving, desire, attachment, the mind holding on and craving permanence, this second problem that the Buddha discovered, which is this hatred, anger, ill will, is almost just as problematic because once the mind becomes discontent, it wants to push everybody away. And what you end up with is you end up with a life where you can only be friends and be friendly around people that agree with you. 
And this isn't helpful because now you have to judge people and you have to determine, are they somebody that I would like to associate with? Are they the type of person that I want to be with? Are they going to cause me harm? You know, the mind becomes neurotic trying to kind of figure this out. And it goes into these cycles of trying to judge other people. The ego comes out, starts to put itself above people or below people. There's all these problematic situations. So what we're going to do in guided loving kindness meditation is work on the second poison. And while these meditation sessions here online are to help you learn the teachings and practice the teachings, and we come together as a group to support each other and encourage each other in our meditation practice, the only way that you're going to experience results with these teachings is if you actively get involved in a dedicated way to learn and practice these teachings on an ongoing basis. It's wonderful that you are attending these meditations or that maybe this is your first time attending a live class with us. It's wonderful that you're here and I'm really pleased to see that. But I really would like to encourage you and support you to really take a real dedicated and active approach to learning and practicing the teachings. Because it's only when you take a comprehensive approach to learning and practicing that you will observe real results and real improvements in your life. One of the common questions I get as a teacher is, David, how do I eliminate stress? David, how do I eliminate anxiety? David, how do I eliminate anger? David, how do I eliminate fears? This is a common question that I get repeated over and over and over again. And the answers to this question is actually the same. This is what's so beautiful about Gautama Buddha's teachings is it's not like there's one remedy for sadness, one remedy for anxiety, one remedy for stress, one remedy for fears, one remedy for hostility or something like this. You know, we could go on and on. You don't have to learn all these individual remedies for all these individual feelings that arise in the mind because all of these feelings are discontentedness and what causes discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment. And the remedy to address this whole massive amount of discontentedness in the unenlightened mind is the same. Breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity. By you motivating yourself, by you deciding that you're going to dedicate time, effort, energy, and resources to actively learn this path, in a real comprehensive way, you can get on this path, learn through the resources that I share, like the books and all these other things, and you can actually see real results because you're the one that's causing all of these discontent feelings. So what we're doing in meditation, whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, is we are training our mind because that's the problem. But what the unenlightened mind wants to do is it wants to go around and fix everyone else because the unenlightened mind thinks that everyone else is the problem, right? But the beauty is, is that what Gautama Buddha shares with you in the Four Noble Truths is that you don't have to go around and fix all these other people because even if you could do that, 
it still doesn't fix the problem. The problem is right here in your own mind. And because your mind is what's causing the problems, you can fix the problems with things like loving kindness meditation and the other teachings on this path. So if there's one thing I would like to share with all of you today is be sure that you download this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. I have it here in a printed form, which you can get access to. There's also an audiobook form and other things like this. This is free. You can download it. Of course, the printed copy, if you end up deciding to get one of those, you have to pay for the printed copy. But I provide everything that I share openly and freely to all beings because I'm really interested in helping you and others around you to learn and practice these teachings so that you can see the results in them. And by you starting at the beginning of this book and going chapter by chapter, reading or listening to the audiobook or reading and listening to the audiobook, then when you get to the end of each chapter, there's podcasts, there's videos, there's quizzes, there's ability to come to these online classes. You can reach out and get personal guidance with me. And through you taking a real comprehensive approach, realizing that it's not this kind of like ad hoc thing where you need to do one thing for sadness, one thing for anger, one thing for boredom, one thing for fears. It's actually all the same. And when you start learning the Buddha's wisdom and you start applying it in your life, you're going to see results. If you get dedicated to this path and you actually learn and practice the teachings, the beauty is that there is no belief here. You're not believing me. You're not believing the Buddha that you can eliminate this discontent mind. You're learning the teachings intellectually. You're receiving personal guidance as a way to learn them and implement them in your life. But by you actually doing the work and actually doing the practice of meditation along with all the other teachings, you get to see the results for yourself because you see the condition of the mind gradually improving. So in a situation that once made you fiercely angry through practicing a meditation like this, loving kindness meditation, over time that dissipates more and more and more. And instead of being wildly angry, maybe you get frustrated and then you get irritated and then you kind of get annoyed. And then that same situation happens three months later, six months later. Huh. The mind, it, it didn't even bother me. Six months ago, that would have like maybe drove you crazy. You would have caused all this discontentness in your mind and gotten so angry and hostile, started speaking to people unkindly and rude and impolite. But here, after learning this path and implementing these teachings, you see the truth for yourself and that the condition of the mind improves. These teachings aren't about learning a bunch of things, believing them, and then hoping that when you die, something good might happen for you. That's not what these practices about. This practice is about learning the wisdom that this fully, perfectly enlightened Buddha shared with us. And you don't believe him and you don't believe me. You learn those teachings, you implement them in your life, and then you observe the results. So today we're going to do loving kindness meditation so that you can practice the teachings 
and then observe the results for yourself. But the way that this works is it's not like you can meditate one time and create this instant immediate change. The way that the unenlightened mind works is there needs to be this gradual training, this gradual progress. One of the biggest misunderstandings in Buddhist teachings or what is shared in Buddhist communities is that the Buddha sat down under a tree and instantly became enlightened. That's not what he talks about at all in his teachings. He talks about this gradual training. So by you coming to classes like this, by you reading books, by you getting personal help, by you meditating daily and consistently over a dedicated time, you will gradually move the mind in this direction of enlightenment. So if you've never done loving kindness meditation with me before, then this will be your first time and you may not get immediate benefits. You're most likely not. You may not get benefits until you do this a hundred times or 200 times, but typically within the first three, four, five times, people really notice a difference. And as you do, just know that that difference is going to be gradual. And that's why you need to take a dedicated, comprehensive approach to learning all the teachings on this path and implementing them into your life so that you can gradually see the progress as you train the mind. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to pause in a moment for questions, but what we're going to do is we're going to do first breathing mindfulness meditation for probably like five minutes or so, maybe 10 minutes. And then we're going to go into loving kindness meditation for the bulk of our training today. And then we'll kind of end and kind of open things back up for questions. And when we are doing this loving kindness meditation, there's a certain way that I share. And whether this is your first time doing loving kindness meditation or you've done loving kindness meditation before, I would like to encourage you to set aside anything that you've ever done before, anything that you've ever learned before. Because while those things got you to where you are right now, if you're going to learn something new, it's important to learn something new and try something new so that you can see the results of it. So what I'm going to share with you today is as you're in meditation and loving kindness meditation, I'm going to say affirmations out loud. And when you hear me say them, you repeat them in your mind. So what I'm going to do is start out with, may I be peaceful. And then when you hear that in your mind on the outbreath, you repeat, may I be peaceful. And then I'm going to say, may I be safe. And you repeat that on your next outbreath is repeat, may I be safe. And then we'll say, may I be well, may I be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. So four different affirmations that you repeat in the mind and you start with yourself. Because how could you have loving kindness for others if you don't have it for yourself first? Then we're going to expand this further and further into larger and larger rings until we encompass all beings in the entire world or universe or whatever you would like to say. I'm just going to kind of develop this as we go. The individual rings, I kind of come up with them as we go. And you will need to do that as well because 
there's certain people in your life that you have hatred or anger or ill will towards, you need to include them in your meditation so that you can work to actively develop this goodwill towards all beings. That's what loving kindness is, is this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And that's why these affirmations that we repeat in the mind are to cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. And then once you cultivate this in the mind, it doesn't stop there. You need to then practice loving kindness in daily life. One of the other big misunderstandings in the meditating community is that if we just meditate for 20, 30 minutes a day, and then we go outside, everything should be perfect. Everything should be wonderful. But you have to take your practice with you. The meditation itself is just to cultivate the loving kindness in the mind. It's like filling up your gas tank. But then when you go outside in daily life, you need to practice loving kindness through being polite and kind, friendly, respectful to all people that you interact with. Because of this natural law of gamma, that whatever you put out is going to come back to you. If you only meditated and then you went outside and talked bad to people, well, that's what people are going to do with you. That's what's going to come back to you. But your meditation is a way to develop this loving kindness, this active goodwill without judgment towards other beings. And then once your gas tank, your mind is filled up with that and it's cultivated, now you go out in daily life and you start being polite and kind, friendly, respectful to all the people that you interact with. Even if they're hostile and angry with you, you're not that way with them because it's not beneficial for you to do that. So you need to go out into the world and treat people with loving kindness and compassion and all these other good, wholesome teachings that are part of this big, comprehensive path to enlightenment. And it's just going to take you time to learn this path in a dedicated way, take a real comprehensive approach to it. And then as you do, you'll see the results for yourself. So let me just pause here and see if we have any questions before we actually move into meditation. We do have a question, David. Our first question comes in from Max. He would like to know, how does practicing loving kindness meditation help other people in our life? Max asked this question for a reason. Here's what I'll say. I'll say two different pieces to this. When you're doing loving kindness meditation, it's for you. It's totally for you. It's your practice. It's you cultivating loving kindness in your mind so that you can become a better and better person, a practitioner who is practicing loving kindness in any and all situations. That's what an enlightened being is going to do is they're not going to have anger, hatred or ill will towards anyone whatsoever. They're never going to be hostile. They're never going to be aggressive with people. They're only ever going to be practicing loving kindness meditation because they've trained their mind to have loving kindness. So this practice is always about you, not just meditation, but the entire path is all about you and your practice. So that's the first part of this question. But the second part of this that is important to understand 
is that by you focusing on you in your practice, it's benefiting other people in that you are not causing harm in the world. So if you went around with hatred, anger, ill will, this hostility is coming out of you through your speech and your actions, that's causing harm in the world. And because of that, harm is going to come to you. So by you training your mind in this way, it's totally focused. This entire path is totally focused on you and your practice. But by you doing that, you're actually benefiting others. Where a lot of us often get this wrong when either we're not on the path or we don't have guidance on the path is we go around trying to help everyone else. You know, Facebook is just full of people sharing memes and, you know, scriptures of the Buddha and just, you know, splattering, 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 splattering all of these posts all over Facebook of everybody trying to teach somebody else something rather than, you know what, I need to work on myself. You know, that's where the real benefit comes in and getting off of Facebook, going offline and picking up a book, picking up an audio book, picking up a podcast, and really dedicating time, effort, and energy to focus on your practice. Because one of the things that we're often taught in Western culture, at least I was growing up, is that we're often taught that if we're not helping other people, then we're selfish. Nobody is interested in being selfish. We're all interested in helping other people. But what the mind has to understand is that it's not selfish to help yourself first, because how could you help anyone else if you haven't first helped yourself? And what the mind needs to understand also is that by helping yourself and knocking down the harm that you cause in the world, you are helping other people. But what we've got is we've got a lot of people that are going around trying to help everyone else but they haven't helped themselves yet. I refer to this as people are trying to teach others how to drive a car, but yet they've never driven a car themselves. So what's important on this path to enlightenment is that we learn to drive the car and you've got to become an expert driver of this car, of this body and this mind. You've got to become an expert, proficient driver of this car. And then at some point, if you choose to help others, you can. But just by you focusing on your own practice and you learning and practicing these teachings, you are helping other people. And because this week we're talking about the ego, this is one of the reasons why I'm kind of answering this question in this way, Max, is that oftentimes what I see is sometimes when people just learn just a little bit of these teachings, the ego's still there because the person's unawakened, they're not enlightened. So because they learn just a little bit of these teachings and they have this desire, this craving, this longing with a strong eagerness to help others, they oftentimes wanna run out and help so many other people right now, even though they've maybe been studying for three weeks, right? Or they've been studying for three days. They wanna run out and like, teach the world all these great, wonderful things that they're learning about the Buddhist teachings. And I understand where that comes from because yeah, that's loving kindness, that's compassion. But remember, it's all about the middle way. If we did nothing to help anybody and we didn't practice anything to help anybody, that wouldn't be the middle way. 
But if we run out and try to push people and force people and try to help the world when you haven't even helped yourself, that's not the middle way either. So what this middle way is about is coming into the middle and realizing that through you helping yourself, by you learning and practicing these teachings, you are helping yourself. And that's the primary goal here is you getting to enlightenment. And by you doing that, now you're causing less and less harm in the world through your intention, speech, and actions. And now because you causing less and less harm, ultimately when you're enlightened, causing no harm whatsoever, then you've helped the world just by you attaining enlightenment. That's a tremendous help to the world. So this practice, Max, of loving kindness is all about you and helping you to improve the condition of your mind. But you already knew that, I think. <laughs> I think you're just giving James the opportunity to ask a question. You're being a good teacher here, that you're trying to help your student to learn how to be a moderator. <laughs> Max has helped us definitely. They very much appreciated. <laughs> and see, Max is, Max is a good example of what I'm sharing here. And, and I don't think his ego is going to get wrapped around that, right? Is that he meditated for six years, not really knowing that there even was a path. All he was doing was meditating and he was seeing some results, but his life still wasn't, you know, fully where it is today. So almost two years ago now, Max and I met here in Chiang Mai, and now he's been dedicated to this path for almost two years. And you guys see us in class together, but Max has spent over the last two years, particularly in the last year, He's probably spent another three to five hours a week talking to me privately about all the different things that he's got going on in his life and trying to get help and understanding of these teachings. And not only does he talk to me privately for three to five hours a week, but he's doing meditation regularly. He's reading the book. He's understanding the teachings. If he hears a Dhamma talk from another teacher and it conflicts with what I'm sharing, he'll come back to me and he'll say, David, I heard this teacher sharing this and it's different than what you're sharing. Can you help me understand why? Why do you teach this? And why do you feel that that's the best way to practice? And he did it in a very polite and kind and respectful way where he was saying, hey, I heard this from over here and I would like you to help me understand your approach to this versus what I heard over here. And over the last two years, he's made a lot of progress. And now he's in a position where he can start offering a little bit of teaching here and there. So it's really wonderful to see him reaching out to you, James, and helping you through learning how to moderate. And I know that he's reached out to a couple of other students in our community and had side conversations and has been a person who's kind of work to kind of help build up our community. And this is what it means to be part of a Sangha in a community that yes, there's the teacher that you learn from, but then all the other members are encouraging and supporting and uplifting and helping each other. And that's what I see Max doing here with you, James, because one of the things that you had commented on a while ago publicly is that you tend to be a shy person and you tend to be a little bit shy. And what I've observed in you is that you're becoming less and less shy through moderating. So not only is Max using this wisdom of the Buddha to help himself, but now he's helping you and you're becoming less shy, which is going to not only help you when you're moderating, 
but you're probably going to notice the benefits of this help you outside when you're in other relationships as well you're going to be less and less shy which is going to produce good results for you so you're letting this go and you're becoming more peaceful and content in your own mind through practicing doing something like moderating and this is where this path to enlightenment i feel is so expansive in that oftentimes we think that this path to enlightenment is all about meditation that it's just meditating and all about meditating but what you guys are hopefully slowly starting to see is that there's lots of ways to train the mind outside of meditation meditation is the foundation and it probably makes up about 15 percent of what we do as practitioners on this path but when you're aware for example that you're shy then you take a active role in eliminating that shyness through practicing like something what james is doing by you being a moderator this is moving the mind in the direction of not being shy anymore and now that you understand that that shyness has caused complications and challenges in your life rather than just reside with that shyness you're taking an active role to move towards eliminating the shyness through doing something like moderating. And I know you're doing other things that we've talked about as well. So if all you ever did was meditate and that's it, you wouldn't get to enlightenment. You actually have to practice the teachings, which this path of the Eightfold Path is more than just meditation. So by you stepping up to moderate like this, this is part of you practicing loving kindness and looking to help others. This is you practicing compassion, concern for the misfortune of others. This is you practicing generosity, using your time, effort, energy, and resources to help others through generosity. And as a result of you giving in this way, you're also receiving in that it's helping you to eliminate shyness. So this is the gamma. By you stepping out and you initiating a practice and you're putting goodness into the world, you're putting these good, wholesome actions into the world, you're receiving back this benefit of reducing your shyness, which then helps you further in all areas of your life. This is the natural law of gamma. It's right here, right now. It's not this mystical, magical thing in the sky of punishment and rewards. That's not what gamma is. It's this cause and effect, cause and effect, action result, the results of your decisions. So by James making the decision to moderate, for example, that's his action. And the result is that he's working on eliminating shyness and his shyness gets eliminated. And this is beneficial for you. But it takes that action to be able to do that. And this practice, this path to enlightenment is much more than just meditation by itself. Yeah, absolutely, David. I've definitely um, seen evidence, um, you know, to this point. I'm in situations that my mind is much quieter than it certainly would have been in the past when it would have been quite um, quite noisy. And um, it really is evidence to me that, like you said, the path can offer just a wide set of benefits. And regardless of what issues we may be facing in our life, it can allow us to work through that and um, it's very inspiring yeah this path it one of the, there's so many beauties about it but you can see the results yourself 
right? It's why there's no belief on this path whatsoever. You see that your mind is more calm, more peaceful, more settled, more stable in certain situations. And that's showing you that you're on the right path. You're headed in the right direction. It's just a matter of more time to soak in the teachings intellectually, reflect on them, understand them, start to practice them in a given situations. And one of the things that people will sometimes think about these type of traditions is that someone like the Buddha or Jesus Christ or somebody like this is trying to create these like cookie cutter human beings that everybody's doing the same thing all the time. But when you understand impermanence and you understand that that's not possible, that the Buddha never tried to teach people to be one certain way or another. He never said, this is right and this is wrong, right? He never said, you know, if you do it this way, it's right. And if you do it this way, it's wrong. He basically gave you this general guidance, this framework of teachings and said, if you would like to experience this peaceful, calm, serene, content mind that I'm experiencing, here's the way. And if you would like to learn and practice that, here it is. And people who are around him during his lifetime that decided to learn those teachings, he guided them on this path to this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that they could see and witness and experience for themselves. And in that practice, in that path, there's all kinds of uniquenesses for your own personality, your own problem solving, your own thinking, your own wise decision making. These teachings aren't about trying to conform to any particular way of being. It's actually just the opposite. It's about finding that wisdom, that life affirming wisdom that will help you to consider all the various aspects of these natural laws of existence. So any challenge that you face in life, you can apply this life affirming wisdom to solving all the various problems and challenges that come up in life. Where now when a certain problem happens, if you're not on this path, you're just not quite sure how to handle it. And this is where it can become very burdensome to the mind. And you can get headaches and stress and anxiety because the mind just doesn't know where to go with this problem. It just doesn't know how to interact and it doesn't know how to solve this challenge. So it becomes very burdensome to the mind. The mind really struggles to try to figure out the solution to a particular problem in your life. And some of these problems can feel overbearing. But what the Buddhist teachings do is it gives you this life practice in which to learn and practice so that you can discover all the different ways that you might approach a given challenge and then solve it with your own wisdom and based on your own personal choices. So one of those things are is meditating. And this is just one component. And, you know, what I have been doing is kind of going right into meditation in these sessions. But I wanted to take this little bit of time today to really encourage all of you to get really dedicated to a comprehensive approach to learning and practicing this path. If all you ever did was came to class, okay, that's a good start. But you've got to take these teachings and put them into your life and really work with them in a dedicated way and get personal guidance like Max has done and others have done to see how to apply these teachings in your life. Because these classes that I offer, 
in the book, in the podcast, all of these things. It's a real open, kind of generalized, and oftentimes we get into some deeper teachings. But where the real benefit comes in, and I think Max could speak to this, is that when you take these lessons and these teachings of the book, the audiobook, the classes, the podcast, and then you work privately with the teacher to say, okay, now how do I apply this to this situation with my mom or my brother or the noisy neighbors outside or the homeless people that are showing up in front of my condo? How do I apply what I learned with the Buddha in this situation? And when you do that one by one by one, like Max has done over the last couple of years, your wisdom grows and grows and grows to the point where now Max and I don't really talk much anymore because he's become more wise. He's able to now solve a lot of the things that he's encountering on his own, where initially, boy, we used to talk a lot, didn't we, Max? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Every day, probably. Yeah, we would talk for, for quite a few hours. Um, so, uh, yeah, so my message here is to get dedicated to this comprehensive path. And just one small aspect of that is this guided meditation we're going to do today. So do we have any other questions, James, or any other comments from either of you guys before we go into meditation? I'll just uh, highlight something you both touched on there I think was really important was that how meditation, as key as that is, is just a piece of the path. And I know, David, that whilst I was experiencing benefits from meditation until I met you, you then showed me these other pieces of the path and I started to notice a sudden increase in benefits to the mind there. And I think of it a bit like, you know, if you were learning to be a, a long distance runner, right, you wouldn't just go for runs. You would have to get your diet sorted. You'd have to have expert advice. You'd have to engineer your life around this ambition. And I think if you're, if you're only meditating, but you're speaking harshly in daily life, you're getting into arguments every day, you know, you're taking lots of intoxicants, it's a bit like you know, trying to learn to be a world-class marathon runner, but eating like 10 cookies every day. You know? It just doesn't, it doesn't integrate. And what I think people often tend to find, it sounds like, James, you've had a similar experience, is that when you start cleaning up daily life, that really starts to help with meditation. And then what happens is the meditation starts to get deeper. You start to notice things. And then what happens is you start to see more wisdom in cleaning up daily life and the cycle just reinforces each other and so this path is really greater than the sum of its parts i find and so yeah it was i think understanding that there was a wider path here that consists not just of meditation mental discipline but also ethical conduct and also the wisdom aspect like understanding what's behind all this and why we're doing this uh, and taking responsibility for the mind and bringing that all together, I think, is really when you start to see discontentedness eliminate, eliminate and reduce because that's really what this is all about, isn't it? It's about eliminating the discontent mind. Um, that's, in a sense, really all it's about. You know, it's eliminating the discontentness and the suffering it causes. And yeah, so it's, um, it's a slow, gradual journey, but uh, over time, you know, you do look back and notice these changes. So. Yeah, James, glad to hear that the mind is getting quieter in your case, and thank you for stepping in to moderate. Absolutely. Um, thank you for all your assistance, and um, 
just being an inspiration to the community. Yeah, Max, picking up on something you just mentioned is there's a, a simile that I put in this book, you know, developing a life practice, the path that leads to Nibbana. I like this simile so much, I put it in two different places in the book. It's the one about the smeared poisonous arrow, right? And the Buddha talks about what did he not teach as part of the teachings? You know, these are my undeclared teachings. And he describes all the things that he didn't teach as part of this path. And there's about nine different things there that he didn't teach. And then he sums up the simile at the end and he said, what did I teach? What did I declare? What I declared is, and he talks about the Four Noble Truths, this is the problem, this is the cause of the problem, this is the elimination, and this is the complete elimination. And he says, what I taught is the cessation of discontentedness. If you look at the Buddhist teachings, he always comes back to this over and over and over and over and over again. What did I teach? I taught the elimination of discontentedness. So these feelings that we have, these painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So this anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, this uh, happiness, excitement, elation, this um, boredom or loneliness, shyness, jealousy, resentment, all of these different feelings, that is what the path is all about is getting to this enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy because the mind has eliminated this discontentedness. All these unwelcomed, unsatisfying, uncomfortable feelings that are in the mind, those all get eliminated as part of this path. And meditation is just one component of that. So you can never get to all those other pieces of the path until you really approach it in a real comprehensive way. So today is about doing some meditation together. So let's do some meditation together, but understand that we do this together as a community to encourage and support each other and to help you learn meditation. But the real goal for you is if you're going to eliminate this discontentness from the mind, you need to take these teachings into your life and apply them daily throughout your life and really approach this as a comprehensive path with this meditation that we do on right now on Wednesdays and Saturdays as just one component of that. But it's really the full comprehensive path which you need guidance to learn. And through doing that, you will slowly gradually eliminate all this discontentness in the mind. So let's go ahead and do some meditation together. I would like to just invite you to get comfortable, either sitting on the edge of the sofa, sitting in a chair, sitting on the floor. If you like to do lying position or standing position, just make the body comfortable, but not luxurious. So for me right now, I'm in a chair because I'm sitting and doing this live stream. I most often meditate with cushions under my rear and propped up so that I can cross my legs in front of me. But I also meditate in a chair and I've done walking meditation, standing, lying as well. But right now, typically seated is good. So if you're in a chair, just make your lower body comfortable. Put your feet flat on the floor or cross your legs. If you're on the floor, put some cushions under your rear, lessen that angle at your hips 
and release the pressure on your knees by just kind of lightly folding your legs in. Don't really compress the legs in crossing them or else you're going to hinder the circulation in the lower body. Your upper body, the spine should be erect where the muscles are engaged. This keeps the mind attentive because we want to maintain this attentiveness of the mind so that we can actively train the mind. Meditation isn't a time for the mind to kind of snooze and go off to la-la land. It's a time to actively engage the mind in meditation through active training of the mind. So by lifting up your spine and erecting your spine, engaging those muscles, it keeps the mind active and attentive. Next, the hands and the arms. If you want to place your right hand over your left with your thumbs together and then place that in your lap, you can do that. Or if that's not comfortable, just place your palms on your lap or on your knees or put your palms face up or put your arms on the armrest of the chair, whatever's comfortable for you. This isn't about everyone getting in exactly the same body position. It's about finding what's comfortable for the body. Because by making the body comfortable, we get access to the mind, right? The mind is the boss. The body is the employee. In order to get to the boss, we got to go through the employee. So we've got to make this body comfortable so that we can get to the boss. But we don't want to make the employee luxurious. If the employee is too luxurious, then people have a tendency to kind of, you know, slouch off. So we want to maintain the attentiveness of the mind by making the body comfortable, but not luxurious. This will allow us to get access to the mind. Next, just close your eyes and start taking some nice steady breaths in through the nose and out through the nose. Nice, steady, consistent breaths. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. We're going to start with breathing mindfulness meditation to work on that first unwholesome root of craving, desire, attachment, where the mind wants to hold on. So we're going to train the mind to let go. And then we're going to move into loving kindness meditation to work on that second poison or that second unwholesome root, which is hatred, anger, ill will. So right now, just breathe in through the nose and out through the nose, focusing the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath entering the nose or the air moving over the skin into the nose. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Allow the breath to become your anchor where you fixate the mind on the breath. I'm going to come back with some more guidance, but first I'm going to do some chanting to help ease us into meditation. So for now, just focus on breathing in and out.
should be breathing in <clears throat> and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. The breath is the present moment. Here, in breathing mindfulness meditation, we focus the mind on the breath. Only the breath. Don't try to force the breath or control the breath. Just observe the breath. Are you breathing in long or short? Just breathe in and out. in and out. We're training the mind to come into the present moment. If 
there's any thoughts about the past or the future, cut those off, let them go. Bring the mind to the breath, to the present moment. Breathing in and out. As the mind wanders, no need to feel guilty or shameful. You've done nothing wrong. What you're doing right now is very good, very wholesome. But the mind wants to wander. It wants to take you on a journey. It wants to lead you away from that present moment. That's what the enlightened mind does. It's an expert at it. But now, things are different. When thoughts arise, ideas or perceptions, you're going to cut it off, let it go. You're taking a different approach. You're choosing to bring the mind back to the breath. This is the active training of the mind. You're actively training the mind so that over time you can control the mind. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. At whatever point you notice the mind is holding on to a thought, either the past, the future, just random chatter, wherever you notice that, no need to label it, no need to judge it, no need to figure out where it's coming from. Just as soon as you realize the mind is off the breath, cut it off, let it go, bring the mind to the breath, breathing in and out, breathing in and out. mind's going to want to hold on. That's why we're training it to let go so that you can gain control. I'm not even interested in you holding on to my voice and having me talk all the way through this meditation because the mind has to let go. It has to let go of everything. Even the voice guiding you in meditation. You need to build up your practice where it's just the body, the mind, and the breath. The body, the mind, and the breath. 
breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to leave you now. Just sit here and meditate with you. And then later, I'll be back with guidance on loving-kindness meditation. But for now, just focus on the breath, training the mind to come into the present moment, letting go of all thoughts, ideas, and perceptions. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath.
Now that we've prepared the mind, we're going to move into loving-kindness meditation to cultivate active goodwill without judgment. As you hear the affirmation repeated in the mind, quietly, on the out-breath, Breathing in and out. May I be peaceful. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May our family and those close to us be peaceful. May they be safe. be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. associates and companions be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. co-workers, those who we work side by side with, be peaceful. 
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all of our neighbors, those whom we live close, side by side with, may they all be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those whom we'll never meet, will never know in this life or some future life, may they all be peaceful.
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. is to them, whether on this planet or some far, far planet away from the earth. May all beings everywhere be peaceful. safe. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Continue to focus on the breath. Whenever there's thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, cut them off, let them go. Bring the mind back to the breath.
start coming out of meditation just kind of ease yourself out one of the things that you guys heard me do there at the end of meditation of loving kindness is expand the ring all the way out to all beings, even beings who don't live on this planet. This is something that we haven't talked about yet, but this is an ideal time to talk about it because this week we're in the chapter of ego. You know, there's different points of view, different opinions of whether there are beings or there aren't beings beyond the planet Earth, right? Some people feel, oh, for sure, there's, there's alien life out there. There's other life out there somewhere. 
And then there's people that are adamantly against that and think, no way, you know, we're the only ones. We're the only ones. Well, you can answer this question for yourself. Because one thing we know about humans is in the unenlightened state, we have massive amounts of ego. It would be the ego that thinks we're the only one, right? It would be that arrogance, that pride for human beings to think out of this enormous universe and galaxy and galaxies upon galaxies. Yeah, we're the only ones. Yeah, we're, we're, we're it. Yeah, we're the only ones. It would be quite arrogant and prideful for us to think that way, wouldn't it? So whether there are or there aren't aliens isn't going to change your practice, isn't going to change how you progress on this path to enlightenment. But I just share this little story with you as a way to show you how deeply rooted this ego of the human mind really is that we go so far as thinking we're the only ones, right? In my mind, that's not possible because that's permanence. Right? We know that everything's impermanent. And we know that this human ego is just always trying to be prideful and arrogant. So in my mind, there's got to be life out there somewhere else beyond this planet. And there's too many people with too many stories spread across too many locales that are explaining essentially the same thing that they're encountering these beings from other planets. So... Again, whether there are beings or there aren't beings somewhere else doesn't change your practice. But someday, if you happen to be reborn 10,000 years from now and you realize that there are beings that are interacting and living on this planet that aren't of this planet, then we need to have loving kindness and compassion for them as well, right? Rather than be fearful or scared of these other beings. Let's have loving kindness and compassion for them. Because the way that I see it in the stories that I've heard and been exposed to, they're actually a whole lot more evolved than we are. Because if they can move those spaceships and those UFOs from wherever they're coming from all the way to Earth, and they can hover and do the things that they do, and they can come here and be gone and almost undetected, they haven't caused any harm to anybody. As far as I know, they haven't killed anybody. They haven't kidnapped anybody permanently. They haven't done any harm to anybody. So to me, they're quite evolved wherever they are and whoever they are to be able to produce equipment and machines to get here, to go back, to do the type of things that they do in those machines and to be able to interact with us in a way that doesn't cause any harm. So it's us humans here on earth that are lacking the evolution that we need in order to create a better world for ourselves. So one way that you might look at this path to enlightenment and all beings on this planet becoming enlightened is it's an evolution of our species. Because we've been evolving over many tens of thousands of years, but there hasn't been this mass evolution of our species to the point where the entire human kind 
has attained enlightenment. And that's really what we're working towards here from the lifetime of Gautama Buddha until now is getting to a point where the teachings are in such a condition that they can be spread throughout the entire world and the entire world can ultimately attain enlightenment and we can have an evolution of our species to the point where everybody on the surface of the earth has eliminated craving anger ignorance that everyone on the surface of the earth has eliminated discontentedness where nobody ever experiences sadness anymore where nobody ever feels frustrated or irritated ever again where nobody ever feels guilty or shameful or fearful of one another where we're no longer bored or lonely or jealous or resentful of each other where we learn to speak to each other politely kindly friendly and with respect this is the possibility of an entire human kind the entire human race attaining enlightenment that we can create a peaceful calm serene and content world with joy but in order to do that each of us individually have to focus on that and develop our practice individually not go around and tell everyone else what they should do but instead for us individually to take this dedicated comprehensive approach to learning and practicing these teachings because by max learning these teachings and sharing it with people in his life and james and judith and tim and aiden and randall and bill and amina manal and deborah and all these other students these hundreds and hundreds of students that are learning by all of you and more in the future, learning these teachings, bringing them into your life, discovering this life-affirming wisdom that the Buddha shared, over time, these teachings spread to more and more and more people around the world, and we create heaven on earth. That's how this happens. We don't have to have a big meeting. We don't have to have everyone in the world agree to it, but just individually, on an individual basis, you take a dedicated, committed, comprehensive approach to learning, practicing these teachings and bringing them into your life. And over time, gradually more and more people will be practicing these teachings and we will create heaven on earth. Now, most of you guys know that I live in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And while you may be seeing some of the reports about protests and different things going on in Thailand, Thailand is a very 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 peaceful place anybody who's ever been here can attest to that what you've got here is you've got people that have had these teachings in practice for probably a good 1000 years maybe longer right a good 1000 years these teachings have been part of this community here so these teachings are steeped into the culture and what you've got is you've got people that are generous and loving and kind, friendly, respectful, polite, compassionate. And when you move about in Thailand, it's just so utterly peaceful. And coming from where I came from in the United States and experiencing what I grew up with there, but now being able to enjoy and benefit from this environment here in Thailand, one of the things that is my goal is to 
help you wherever you live in the world, whether it's the United States or Spain or Italy or New Zealand or Greenland, South America, Central America, no matter where you are, all throughout the world, if you're learning and practicing these teachings, you can bring this peacefulness from Thailand into your life where we learn to peacefully coexist with each other. We learn to be loving and kind and compassionate. We learn to let go of this ego, this arrogance, this pride. But it takes time. So I really want to thank all of you for joining us for today's meditation. I really value and appreciate and thank you for dedicating time and effort, not only in class, but outside of class, to learn and practice these teachings. Because I know by you doing that, you're not only benefiting yourself, you're not only benefiting the people that are close to you, but you're benefiting the entire world and all of humanity because now we can bring these teachings into our communities and have them improve the condition of our life and the entire world. So I'd like to just turn this back to the moderators, see if there's any questions coming in from our social media platforms. You can type comments into the comment section or anybody in Zoom that might have any questions about anything we discussed today. I had a question, David. I was wondering about the role that visualization can play in our loving kindness meditation. And especially when we're considering circles, which may be such that a person that I harmed or a person that harmed me, is it appropriate to visualize events during our loving kindness meditation? And um, just what would you say to that? Yeah, the, there's a big difference between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. Breathing mindfulness meditation is all about letting go of the thoughts, eliminating that unwholesome root of craving, desire, attachment, cutting it off and bringing it back to the breath. Just cut, 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 back to the breath. Loving kindness meditation is about eliminating hatred, anger, and ill will. But the way that we do that is by drawing in this wholesome quality of loving kindness. So we're cultivating, we're adding things into the mind. So this is why we first do breathing mindfulness meditation to empty out the mind, empty it of all the erroneous thoughts, ideas, and perceptions. So that then with loving kindness, we can fill it up. We can add in all this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So to fill up this gas tank or fill up this mind with this active goodwill, cultivating loving kindness, visualization is actually really, really helpful in my view. Because if you're meditating and you're having a really difficult time and you're having anger or hatred, ill will, hostility towards a particular person, and you visualize that person in your meditation, it can really help you. You're, maybe you will feel a little bit of anger while you're visualizing that person. But if that anger arises in meditation, you're going to have to now move that out of the mind and bring in this loving kindness. So by visualizing a person that you're angry at or a group of people that you're angry at or any particular situation like this, Oftentimes in loving kindness meditation, it can arise anger while you're actually meditating. But then to meditate properly and to really get benefit, you're going to have to apply right effort in meditation 
to abandon those unwholesome qualities of anger, hatred, and ill will and arise this wholesome quality of loving kindness and compassion. So this can be really, really beneficial for you in meditation. And I did this quite a lot. I have to share with you guys before that I had a lot of problems with my mom growing up. So for a good six months, I was meditating loving kindness from my mom. And every time I would visualize her, it would oftentimes arise anger. But then I would kind of envision this like syrup or, you know, some kind of thick liquid substance kind of going over her whole body from her head all the way over her body. And this syrup represented that loving kindness, the active goodwill without judgment. And it was just kind of like enveloping in her body and almost covering and smothering her whole body. And I even do this, you know, from the beginning when I start with, may I be peaceful, may I be well, may I be free of discontent. I think about that same syrup coming over my whole entire body for me. And then when I move to the next ring, like I say we, and we as always those of us who are meditating together and envision like the group together in the syrup coming over the body. And then each successive ring, visualizing that ring, clearly seeing it in the mind and then encapsulating it and smothering it with this syrup of loving kindness. So this visualization can really help to bring in the loving kindness in the mind. And uh, I think you'll find it beneficial. The way that you'll know, because these kind of things don't work for everybody, right? Because there's no permanence here. But what you do is you learn something like this from your teacher and you go apply it for like a week or two or three and see if this works. And if it works for you, then you use it. Great. Wonderful. But if this syrup and visualization doesn't work for you and you observe that after trying it for two or three weeks, maybe a month, then you do whatever you feel is working good for you. So you can try to do what it is that I'm sharing with you now. But if for some reason it doesn't work for you, then don't feel like you have to hold on to it just because your teacher does it. So what's important on this path is that you learn from your teacher and then you apply it and see the truth of what works for you. And that's where the real experience comes in and giving it a good try. And that's why I say don't try just once or twice. Try for like two, three, four weeks so that you can see the real change and gradual change in the mind as part of trying this practice. That's the only way you'll really see benefit is if you give it a good long try. Once or twice isn't enough to really know that it's not working. Oftentimes, you know, one, two, three times, you can see that it truly is working. But to know whether it's not working or not, you probably are going to need more than just a couple of sessions. But what about you, James or Max? Do you guys use visualization and has it helped you? I do tend to um, use visualization, you know, depending on um, on the ring that we're on. And I do feel that adding that visual element of a person or even perhaps a particular event, it, it can help drive home and cultivate the feelings of loving kindness rather than just perhaps going through the words. I feel like it can certainly add that element. So it's helped you, it sounds like? Yes, for sure. I, I think it, it has made the cultivation more vivid, I believe. Good. 
What about you, Max? Is that something you do? Yes, I'd agree with you there, James. I tend to uh, use visualization. I find that a lot more useful than just the words on their own. And I follow your advice, David, to follow the in-breath and then on the out-breath, as I'm saying the affirmation, that's when I uh, find that the visualization becomes stronger. So it's not like I'm on the visualization throughout the whole breath, although there's like a, a glimmer of it there. I find it helps to stay with the breath as well. Um, but focusing on that visualization on the out-breath is what I found useful. Okay. Absolutely. I've had a very similar experience to Max, and I definitely follow your advice of um, going through with it on the out-breath, because I do think it's important that we maintain our, our mindfulness and perhaps not get lost in um, emotions or or the, that visualization. But um, yeah, I've definitely found it useful just in the way that Max described it. Yeah, and one thing that people have been asking me about recently is it's not uncommon during meditation for some dust to get kicked up, right? So oftentimes, especially with loving kindness meditation, because you're going through these rings of people that you might harbor hate and anger for, it's not uncommon for there to be some anger that arises during meditation. You know, people sometimes think that meditation is always peaceful, you know, nothing ever bothers you. But you can experience some unwelcomed thoughts and emotions arising during meditation. And you shouldn't see that as you've done anything wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty. You shouldn't feel shameful. This is actually a chance for you to address what's coming up. Because if you didn't do this meditation and you weren't allowing those thoughts to arise, then it's kind of like sweeping the dust under the carpet. But in meditation, if you're noticing unwelcome thoughts arising, then this is an opportunity for you to deal with it and clear it out of the mind and let it go. Because what happens in the unenlightened mind is when these uncomfortable thoughts arise, we usually push them down. We usually smother them. And it's like putting the dust under the carpet. And now you've got this unenlightened mind that's bound up with all this trauma, all this heartache, all these painful feelings from the past or worry or anxiety or fear about the future. And essentially what you're doing in this practice, among many other things, is you're unraveling this bound up twine in the mind so that you can let go of those discontent feelings and those painful feelings. And as you let go, oftentimes it can feel like the dust is being kicked up into the air. So I've had some people tell me that when they first start these loving kindness meditations, that they actually finish the meditation angry, that they often become very angry by the end of meditation. So that's why when I do loving kindness meditation, I start with the breathing mindfulness meditation to let go and empty the mind. Then I do the loving kindness meditation to address and cultivate this loving kindness. And right there is where oftentimes anger, hatred, ill will might get kicked up in the mind. But then finish it out on the tail end with at least five or 10 minutes of more breathing mindfulness meditation to let go of any anger, hatred, ill will, hostility that has arisen in the mind. If we just stop the loving kindness at the end of loving kindness, as I did when we first started this program, oftentimes you can be left with some anger or hostility. So make sure on the tail end, you give yourself some time there if you need it. 
in order to let go of any unwelcome thoughts or emotions that have arisen during meditation. I had um, one other question. You were speaking earlier about taking our practice with us for meditation and, and transitioning. And I was just wondering if you had any advice on that, because I think at times perhaps we can do loving kindness meditation and we can feel this love arise in us. And then when we go into the world and, you know, we're in a world that isn't practicing loving kindness, it can perhaps create discontent, especially as we're, you know, the first 30 minutes to an hour after the meditation. And I was just wondering if you had any advice on how to um, deal with that. Yeah, it's very challenging, I think, to be in an environment where you're surrounded by people who aren't practicing the teachings. You know, being in a place like this in Thailand where lots and lots of people are practicing the teachings, you can see them more readily, you can observe the teachings in practice, and there's not really much harm going on. You know, when I go out into the world here in Thailand, I've, in the 20 years that I've been coming to Thailand, I've only ever had two incidences of where somebody was like somewhat aggressive with me and even then it was over in like a few seconds but that's like in 20 years worth of existing here right i would get that in like 10 minutes in other places that i go to right so it's not that this is kind of like a bubble and a false environment that the mind would be discontent if i say went to america like I still, even if I went to America, I wouldn't be discontent there because I just know what I'm facing. But here in Thailand, somebody can potentially get very complacent with everybody being loving and kind and peaceful, not realizing that there is a world outside of this that is quite harsh and quite hostile and quite aggressive. And what you need to do is train the mind to have loving kindness and compassion for these beings that are around who aren't on the path. Because, like, I know you, James, are in South Carolina. There's probably very, very, very few people in South Carolina that are on this path, which means you're surrounded by a lot of craving, hate, you know, anger and ignorance or unknowing of true reality, a lot of ego, a lot of self, right? And what you've got to do is just come from a place of, oh, that's too bad. They don't have the wisdom that they need to understand that they're causing their own discontentedness because if your mind craves for something different that's where you're going to cause yourself discontentedness if your mind has this mental longing and strong eagerness for all of your neighborhood or everyone in your state to be practicing these teachings then that's going to cause your mind to be discontent because the mind is longing and having a strong eagerness for something that it doesn't have and you've got to see true reality that you are in some ways a leading person or someone who's bringing the teachings into the Western world. And by you bringing them into your life, you're kind of what we would call an early adopter. If we were talking about technology, right? You're like an early adopter that you've adopted these teachings much earlier than other people around you. And because of that, you know, people aren't going to necessarily understand what you're doing, but you've got to have understanding for them and compassion and loving kindness for them and not crave something different other than what exists, which is a very highly discontent world where people are very uncomfortable with impermanence. And wherever you see somebody being angry and hostile, just see it for what it is, which is their practice. 
and don't allow it to affect you. Even if they're blaming you, you know, you cut me off in traffic. You, you know, you did this, you did that. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. It's okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, just trying to get to the next step, which is let's get past this, helping them to let it go. So if you see people angry or hostile or people become angry and hostile at you, oftentimes they will blame you because they're not on the path. They don't realize they're causing their own discontent mind. And you just got to have loving kindness and compassion for those people and helping them just get past it and let it go. Thank you, David. I think that's certainly very useful advice, especially for those of us who are in areas where so few people are practicing the teachings. So looking forward to further incorporating that in my practice. Yeah, you're never going to live in a world where all people are practicing these teachings. That's not going to happen during this lifetime. Future lifetimes, it will exist, but not during this lifetime. So you're going to be around people that are practicing these teachings. And just remind yourself, the problem isn't that they're not practicing the teachings. The problem is that your mind expects them to or wants them to. And you've got to train your mind to not have that longing and strong eagerness to want everybody to do what you're doing. And that's where the real liberation occurs, that your mind is no longer hindered or bonded. It's no longer bound by all of these wants, all of these cravings. That's why the Buddha called it the unsurpassed security from bondage. Because the unenlightened mind is bound up in this craving, desire, attachment, in this hatred, anger, ill will, in this delusion, ignorance, unknowing of true reality. The mind is bound up in that. So what you're doing is you're liberating the mind where you can practice these teachings or you cannot practice these teachings. And I'm completely fine with that because my mind is peaceful. This is why the Buddha didn't go around and try to fear people or guilt people into learning his teachings because his mind was already peaceful. He had already done what he needed to do. He didn't need to force or fear people or guilt them into learning and practicing his teachings because the whole basis of his teachings is eliminating guilt and fear and shame and all that stuff. So he knew what he had attained his mind was completely peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So what we say is the Buddha essentially is just pointing the way. He's saying, hey, if you would like to accomplish the same result, here's the way. But it's up to you whether you choose to progress and pursue that path or not. One of the most common phrases here in Thailand is, it's up to you. <laughs> so we always say when everybody uh, is trying to figure out what to do or how to do it. just oh, up to you up to you because you don't care one way or another like your mind's peaceful calm serene and content with joy regardless so we can see movie a movie b movie c at the movies it doesn't matter to me because my mind's peaceful calm serene and content with joy up to you where do you want to eat today would you like thai food mexican food pizza i don't know up to you Right? So everybody in Thailand is kind of like, up to you, up to you. <laughs> One of the biggest challenges I had when I first met Thai people was we went to the movies and there was about eight of us standing outside. Nobody wanted to pick a movie. It was all about spending time together. Everybody was like, up to you, up to you, up to you. Well, finally, you know, they looked at me and they said, all right, you pick. 
So I decided to pick the movie, but people aren't attached. We don't have this strong wanting and craving and all this. I got to have it my way, right? This is part of the ego and that self. It's got to be my way or the highway, right? You guys have heard that saying in our culture before. That's nothing but ego and craving and all of this. So you can get to the point where people are practicing these teachings around you and you observe that and you notice that and that's wonderful. But there'll be people around you that'll be hostile and angry. And that's where you got to kick in this loving kindness and compassion and just be like, oh, that's too bad. It's almost like you just saw a little puppy, right? It's like, oh, it's a little puppy. You know, not in a degrading way, but it's just like, oh, that's too bad. They're angry. Hmm. I remember those days. That's that's too bad. You know? So, yeah. Any more questions? Thank you, David. Great reminder that it all starts with us in our practice. Um, but for now, it seems that's all the questions we have for today. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class. Uh, decided to take a little bit more of an informal approach since uh, Max and James are starting to moderate. You know, one of the things that I've always been interested in doing is creating more discussion in our classes. With Zoom, it would be great for all of us to just be involved in conversation and discussion. But since we're live streaming and I'm recording this for the podcast, I tend to try to create a beginning, a middle, and an end. This is kind of like how the Buddha taught as well, is there's a beginning of the talk, there's a middle of the talk, and there's an end of the talk. And the Buddha said that when you give a talk, your talk should be good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So basically, you know, don't start off really good and then kind of like dip down and just be rambling and not really allowing your students to comprehend what it is that you're teaching. And then at the end, you know, kind of like slack off and really not give a good talk. What the Buddha was encouraging is that from the beginning to the middle to the end of the talk, always provide good quality content that's going to be beneficial to the people that you're talking with and sharing the teaching. So when I'm sharing in these classes, I will typically have a beginning, middle, end, and I'll try to maintain a direct teaching all the way through the class. But one of the things that would be really wonderful is having more interaction in these classes and allowing you guys to talk to each other. So one of the things I would like to invite you guys to do is if you would like to come into Zoom or those of you guys that are in Zoom, when I turn off the live stream, I have to leave Zoom and close things down and stuff. But you guys can stay in Zoom and talk to each other and have conversation, just like as if we were in a physical classroom together. And if I ended class, you guys wouldn't all just get up and walk out of the room. You guys would probably sit around and talk to each other, chat up, you know, talk and have conversations. So feel free to do that. So there's Max in here and James, Judith, Tim, Aiden, and there's some others here in Zoom. And those of you guys that are watching this on social media right now, feel free to come into the Zoom classroom and talk to each other. This is one of the nice benefits of being part of a community is that you can talk with each other and get to know each other. And um, this can be a really rewarding aspect of being part of a community. So I will officially say goodbye, but after I turn off everything, I will probably come back into Zoom and see if any of you guys are hanging out and chit-chatting with each other. 
If not, that's fine too. But I would like to just wish you a really wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful meditation practice as you meditate throughout today at different times. And I will see you either on Saturday, Sunday, or next Wednesday, where on Saturday we're going to be doing meditation. On Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 18, exploring eliminating fears. Are you really scared? This is a really interesting topic to discuss, how to eliminate fears from the mind. And then next Wednesday, we're going to be doing chanting and learning how to do the actual chants that I do at the beginning and at the end of each meditation session. So until I see you next time, either online or in one of these classes or here in person at our classes that we hold in Chiang Mai, I just wish you a really wonderful day. Be sure to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to everybody that you interact with. Have a good one. Sabadikha. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.